When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And we welcome you to this edition of Tuesday People, the podcast. I'm Mitch Album, the author of the book Tuesdays with Maury, and the host of this program, along with my co-host, Lisa Goich, who's here, as always, my friend, producer of this program. Lisa, I hope you had a good week. I had a very good week, Mitch, and, um, you know, lots going on. Lots going on in the world, as we talked about on our last episode. Yeah, there's lots going on in the world. and. I had dinner with a friend of mine tonight who said, I've never been more pessimistic about the world than I am now. And it's Mm. sad. It's sad to hear that. And I understand where he's coming from. I think a lot of people feel that way. I think between COVID and inflation and this war and winter, (laughs) there's so many things that have people down. It's hard to see up. It's hard to see the positive in the future. And we keep being told that we only have X number of years left on the planet anyhow, before it's all going to hell. And yeah, I can understand why people would be pessimistic, but we have to fight against that. It's easy to be pessimistic in this world. It's easy to only see the bad things that are on the horizon. Sometimes you have to fight to see the good things, which is crazy because of course the good things are what make us feel good and good things are what we all want. And the good things are what we all aspire to. And and yet we get buried. But don't get mm-hmm. buried and try to be optimistic about things. Um, because we have been through this era of historical events like this before. We have had wars. We have had pandemics. We've had economic difficulties. And we've always come through them. And there's always been happier days on the other side. And we have to trust that that's going to be the case here. Yep. So. We talk here on the program about things that uh, I learned alongside my old college professor, Maury Schwartz, as he was dying from Lou Gehrig's disease back in 1997. 25 years ago was when the book came out. 1995 was when the visits were taking place. And there were many things that I learned, obviously, alongside my old professor, and many of which I put into the book, Tuesdays with Maury, in terms of life lessons about basic fundamental things like love and forgiveness and family and security and culture and money and subjects like that. But there was also something about the process that I thought was very important that I wanted to share with you today. I recently went through a couple little health scare things. Knock wood, everything turned out to be fine. But for a stretch of time, I was a little worried and more than a little worried. And I realized that when you are sick, not feeling well, worried about 
something having to do with your health and your mortality, you find out very quickly who you have in your life that you can kind of trust with that and who you have in your life that can kind of support you through it. Mm -hmm. There are many people you'll have as friends, many people you'll have as coworkers, many people you'll have as hangout buddies and fellow partiers and soccer mom friends and this league and that league friends. And, and they're all good people and all part of the tapestry of life. But when you're not doing well, when you're sick, when you're worried about your health or even your mortality, probably very few of them are going to be able to handle it other than a little perfunctory like, uh, yeah, I hope you get better or Wow, I'm pulling for you. I'm praying for you. I love that one, you know, praying That's for you. That's always a big one. Yeah. Um, but how about the person or people that you rely on to really get you through when you're not feeling well? There aren't that many of them. Now, in my case, I'm blessed to have a wonderful wife who is just a, uh, you know, a, a angel. An angel and an empathetic <laughs> and sympathetic person who can listen to people's worries and listen to people's troubles and not feel like there's a ticking clock inside her. Like, okay, that's enough. Okay. I've listened to 10 seconds. I've listened to 20 seconds. I've listened to a minute. That's enough. She has that kind of patience that will allow her to listen to my whining or moaning or worrying and, she won't always encourage it. Sometimes she'll say you should stop or, you know, don't think that way or there's no reason to think that way. But, you know, I, I know that I can, if I say I need to talk to you about this or I need to tell you how I'm feeling, I can. And I hope that she feels that she can do that too. So your natural inclination would be, if you're listening to this, to say, ah, well, therefore your premier caretaker should be your wife or should be your husband, should be that person who's closest to you because mm -hmm. they're going to be the most patient and they're going to be mm -hmm. the most understanding and they're going to be the ones that you you know want to be with. Well, I'm here to say to you, not necessarily. I can back that up. <laughs> <laughs> not my necessarily. Husband, my husband would be the worst caretaker ever. <laughs> uh, and- what I want to try to get across in today's show is that there are people who are gifted as caretakers, and there are people who are gifted as partners, husbands, wives, lovers, family members, that are not always the same thing. And... We need to be careful not to expect too much from one category to be the other mm -hmm. and not to be too disappointed if the people closest to us in our lives aren't necessarily the ones who work the best as our caretakers. So let me talk about Maury's situation for a while. Maury had a wife, Charlotte who just recently passed away in her mid-90s, a wonderful woman, an intelligent, 
self-sufficient, professional woman, a counselor, had a great career. She and Maury enjoyed you know, the intellectual, uh, loving relationship they had. It was a smart relationship. It, it was based on mutual respect, sharing of not only time, but also of thoughts. They're both very smart people. When Maury got sick, and he had two sons, by the way, Rob and John, who we've interviewed on mm -hmm. this program, both of whom had their own careers out of the city of Boston and the state of Massachusetts. When Maury got sick, yes, it was Charlotte, his wife, who accompanied him to the initial doctor's visits. It was Charlotte whom he talked to when he found out he had ALS and expressed his initial shock and what are we going to do and how are we going to handle things. But Maury had, a, had an innate understanding that it was not going to be best for his wife, for him, for his marriage, for his family. If he suddenly said, well, I got dealt this terrible hand. I can't do this and I can't do that. And you're my wife. And we got married for better or for worse. So you need to take care of me now. Mm -hmm. Stop what you're doing. Stop your life. You need to take care of me now. He didn't do that. He insisted actually on the opposite. He did not want Charlotte to stop working or stop her counseling. He did not want Charlotte to be doting on him every minute of the day. And as he lost the ability to do so many things physically, he did not want her to be the one who had to pick up the slack. Mm -hmm. Now, you could say, why not? They had a good marriage. And I would say, that's why. Because they had a good marriage. And there was mutual respect from both parties. So Maury felt, I don't know how long this is going to last. I don't know how long this is going to take. It's bad enough that this is happening to me. Why do I want to pull down my wife with yeah. this? Why do I want to make her stop doing what she loves to do just as I had to stop teaching? Why do I want to make her sit and endure everything that I'm going through just as I'm going through it? And so... Instead of demanding that, and I don't think it was ever going to be a demand, I think they mutually understood, Charlotte maintained her work schedule, but albeit cut back to help with Maury, and she maintained some social things, albeit cut back because she wanted to spend as much time as she could with Maury. But when I went there on Tuesdays, and I'm sure on other days as well, it wasn't me going into the room and Maury sitting there, you know, unable to move, and Charlotte sitting next to him every waking moment, tending to, here, here, uh, here's a spoonful of food, or here, what do you want me to turn for you? Or what do you want me to scratch for you? What do you want me to do for you? I know another gentleman who suffers from ALS. His name is Augie Nieto. His wife, Lynn, is his absolute partner, his absolute rock. She has been taking care of him for, I don't know. It's I, a long time, right? That he's had this. Years. Yeah. yeah. 
Uh, it's been it's been a long time. And she has been by his side and she has been his rock and he will say that and she has been the, the, the absolute backbone, but she's not the only one taking care of him. Mm-hmm. There are caretakers. In Maury's case, he had caretakers who came in. He had hospice workers, nurses. He had massage therapists, yoga people. He had many friends who would come in and visit with him and lift his spirits and talk to him. But they weren't just taking care of him. They were also allowing Charlotte to get a break. Charlotte to have a breather and, and so that the, the disease didn't choke her before yeah. it took Maury. And what I'm here to tell you is that you should not feel that sharing the burden of an illness, and hopefully it's not a terminal illness, but even a, an illness, even you're out of it for a while, you got to recover, you're coming back from a heart attack, you're you know, you had cancer surgery and they got everything and they're doing the chemo and stuff like that. It's all right to share these burdens of basic caretaking with other people, sometimes people who are paid to do it, sometimes people for whom this is this is what they do for a living because yeah. they're good at it. Many times they're kind because they've learned how to be patient about it. They don't get frustrated when things break or don't go the right direction. The wheelchair doesn't work right. The catheter doesn't work right. The pills are all mixed up. Whatever the things can happen like that, they're, they're used to those kinds of situations. And in some cases, that can be the best medicine. That can actually allow your uh, progress to be manageable. Do you know what I'm talking about here, Lisa? Have you seen situations where I know both of your parents lived a long time and in, in their final days, they needed some help? Um, yeah. But did you find that it's not always the person who's the absolute closest that necessarily makes the best caretaker or caregiver? Oh, definitely. And I think when my mom was sick, you said that to me, like you offered and actually gave us help at home because you said that we should be able to be the children and let somebody else help my mom. It was such a short window of time, you know, that um, we only had two weeks, right? So I think your, your uh, you know, your thought was, why don't you be the daughter and we'll help you get somebody to take care of them, which was so kind of you, by the way. I'll never forget that. But I have to say that my dad wasn't really there being hands-on help. It was me and my sister, you know? I mean, my dad was doing other things like grocery shopping and, you know, entertaining company that came over, that sort of thing. But he wasn't necessarily there rolling my mom over or cleaning her or any of that. It was us. So I think it's just sometimes it's it's more inherent in some people than it is in others. I like to do that kind of stuff, so I'm sure I would be that person if uh, Teddy, my husband, got sick. But like I said, he is not not the best caretaker. If right. I go to the if I go to the emergency room, he sits next to me, and I'll I'll be in super bad pain or something, and he'll be like, 
uh, okay. And then he sort of like gives me the little tap on the shoulder. Okay. <laughs> All right. Okay. I'm like, you are horrible. You are horrible at a time of an emergency. <laughs> so I'll, I'll probably have to hire somebody. <laughs> at least you recognized it. At least he knows it and you know it. Yeah. But the, the, the thing that you said that we talked about, it is important. Sometimes people feel like, well, I'm the wife. So therefore, I need to be the caretaker. Yeah. I'm the daughter, so therefore, I need to be the caretaker. And sometimes the truth is, no, you're the daughter, so you need to be the daughter. Yeah. You're the wife, so you need to be the wife. We'll be back with more Tuesday People right after this. I remember with my father, sadly, as we talk about this, there are just so many examples that I can draw upon, which means I've gone through this with a lot of people. A few times now, yes. Yeah, but I can remember with my father, I would be visiting his place and we'd be talking and then he would say, you know, I have to go to the bathroom. And you know, initially when, you know, he started to need help to do this, I guess I knee jerk sort of said, well, all right, I'll, I'll help you. And he said, no, no. We had, he had a, a nurse, you know, a healthcare worker that was there. She can do it and uh, let her help me. Now, here it is. You're the son. Mm -hmm. You know, I've known my dad for 60 years or whatever, or close to at that time. And, Here's this woman who the in voice in my head said, wait a minute, like he just met her like a couple months ago. Mm -hmm. She just came into the, his life a couple months ago. And here he is preferring that she do some of these things that are, you know, caretaker-ish and intimate types of things, helping him in certain ways. And what am I doing wrong? What, uh. what, how have I failed him that I am not? his first choice to aid him in these matters. And it was only after a certain amount of time that I realized that some of it was, wasn't just me being the son. It was him getting to remain the father. Definitely. Instead of the patient. Yes. It was him getting to remain the father. And he wanted to maintain that role. And he didn't want me to suddenly go to places that I had never gone before with him right. as his son. Well, it's personal too. Like, I think it's right. embarrassing. Like, it was very embarrassing for my mom. Like, the first time we had to put her on the, you know, those portable toilet things, right? right? And we had to lift her out of her bed because she couldn't even move. So we had to lift her out of her bed and put it on there. And she kept saying, I'm so embarrassed. I'm so embarrassed. And I'm like, don't be embarrassed. I don't like this. I don't like this. This is so embarrassing. So right. I think there's an element of that too. That Right, right. Now, she would not have done that with a nurse. No, not. She, right? and she never did. Yeah, she never right. did when the nurses came. She wouldn't came. say yeah. I'm embarrassed It's because sometimes it's easier. See, this is what we don't realize. We want to insist 
that we take care of the people that we love the most personally, the most intimately. But sometimes we think we're doing it for them. Actually, what they would prefer is that somebody else does it Mm -hmm. so that they can maintain the relationship that they have with us on the level that they are traditionally used to it. Father to son, a mother to daughter, brother to brother. And allowing that relationship to maintain its normal levels helps them feel better. Yeah. Helps them feel better. It's sort of, you know what? It sort of compartmentalizes things, I think. You know, um, this is my family and my family time, and this is my sick and my sick time, and these are the people that take care of me while I'm sick. And then when I'm over here with these people, this is when I get to have my family time. I think, I think there's sort of a sorting process that goes on. Yeah, which makes a lot of sense. And the thing that I'm trying to get across is do not feel guilty about it if it doesn't work the other way for you. If you are not the best caregiver, if you are not your partner's first choice or your brother or sister's first choice, um, be the brother or sister, be the husband or wife, be the child, and be good at that. And don't berate yourself for not being up to caregiving or up to some first first selection, first choice type of thing. Because that's, that's not a competitive arena. You are not in competition with nurses. You are not in competition with home health care workers or, 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 or people who can administer blood tests or things like that. You are, you are there to fill the role that you've always filled in healthier times in these sick times. And that's not to say that people can't become the primary caregiver. Many people do. Many people don't have a financial option to do anything otherwise. So like it or not, they become, they become who they are. Mm-hmm. But uh, other times when people could, but somehow it doesn't work out, guilt can get involved and guilt should not be involved. Disease and and dealing with the staying healthy is hard enough. You don't need to start feeling guilty on top of it. Here in Michigan, they have a new law that went into effect, was passed a couple of years ago. It's kind of gone into full effect as of a few months ago. And basically, it's a terrible law in my opinion. It took away what was a unique circumstance here in the state of Michigan, where if you were in a catastrophic auto crash, you were injured, paralyzed, you know, suffered spinal cord injuries or things like that in a car crash in the state of Michigan, your benefits were covered for the rest of your life. There was no limit to it. So you wouldn't like max out on your insurance or max right. out on your number, number of visits for therapy or max out on home health care workers. It was covered. We had a fund and people paid into the fund every year and it, the fund became billions of dollars and it helped fund that kind of thing. And for many years, Michigan was this unique state where if you were 20 years old and you had an auto accident that paralyzed you, say, from the neck down, under normal circumstances, you know, you're an adult, you don't have a whole lot to your name, 
after yeah. a short period of time, you've sold off everything you can. You yeah. can't work. And basically, who's going to take care of you? You're yeah. going to end up in, in, in some you know, old age facility or someplace that it really isn't oriented to take care of you, or, or you're going to die. Because people can't afford to do that, or there weren't the places to do that kind of thing on their own. So this bill allowed people, it was paid for. You don't, you had to worry about nothing when it came to insurance. That's Everything a pretty great, was covered. That's a great thing. Yes, it was the only state in the union that, that had that. And we had it for many years. And of course, the insurance industry hated this. Because they didn't want to see money, you know, being taken away from them. And so they lobbied and lobbied and lobbied year after year after year a year to try to get it taken off the books. And eventually they succeeded. And they succeeded by promising people that everybody would get a small refund. Everyone would get oh, a couple geez. hundred dollars back. Oh, that's so crazy. A couple when hundred people, dollars off their oh, car insurance. Yeah. When people and fall for that, for that kind of stuff, it's insane to me. And you for know? that, the legislators went for it and passed it. Ugh. And what has happened as a result hmm. is that people who have, and when they didn't even grandfather in, I know you're not supposed to say the word grandfather, apparently, but uh, whatever it is, uh, uh, exception to the rule in, yeah, <laughs> people who had been getting this care up to that point. Oh, no. So it wasn't just for new people. It applied to people who've been getting care for years. So there was a case that I wrote about, about a young man named Michael who was in a catastrophic accident in uh, the early 90s or late 80s or something like that. And he was 20 years old and he wasn't even driving. And the person who was driving lost control of the vehicle, got hit by a semi-truck. Of course, Jeez. the person who was driving was okay, but this young man, Michael, was paralyzed instantly from the neck down. He was My only God. 20, 21 years old. The next couple of decades, obviously were tremendously difficult, but he had care. Mm -hmm. He had care. He had nurses who came and took care of him, changed him, got him dressed, helped him into the chair that he was sitting in, helped work a computer for him, shampooed him, massaged him, you know, helped him with whatever kinds of things he, he could do on his own. And he knew these people and there was a sense of being taken care of. And so mm -hmm. he was productive. He was into computers and things like that. And he was, I don't want to say he was happy. I don't know the situation, but I think from all accounts, he was relatively happy. He had a family who loved him, mm -hmm. people looking out for him. Well, this law came into effect and the company that was taking care of him basically had to shut its doors. Because they weren't being funded anymore. Wow. And they were told that they had operated almost half of their budget from before and very few places could stay open. So they closed. Wow. So he then was basically shunted aside and left to go fend for himself at a public, you know, a facility like a Medicare facility or an old age home because they didn't have places that just take care of people like him. So he had to go to a place where people were old, old and infirm, even though he was only 45 years old. And he said, I'd rather die than, than do this. And he didn't want to live anymore. Wow. He basically, you know, thought about killing himself. And all of this was because the caregivers that he had were lost to him. 
the people who gave him the support and the dignity that he had been searching for that weren't his family. This is the point. He has a wonderful family. They're not set up to be his caregivers, and he doesn't want them to be his caregivers on a permanent basis. Yeah. He was thriving when there were other people taking care of him, but now he's back home. He doesn't have those caregivers, and his parents are you know, maybe the only option. That's terrible. At the time being. And if you don't have those agencies to hire people from, then you're out of luck. Now, the lesson that I learned was that here was someone who had, his parents were there the whole time. His parents were there when the caregivers were allowed, and his parents were there Mm -hmm. when they changed the law. That didn't change. But when he lost his favorite caregivers and the people who took care of him, that's when he said, I don't want to live anymore. Yeah. Well, and also- his parents probably won't be around forever. So then who takes care of him when he's older? You know, they, they're not going to, he's probably going to outlive them. That's exactly know? right. Oh, That's terrible. exactly right. Horrible. So, but here was a case about where the parents were there before and the parents were there after, but it was the caregivers who did the specific routines that he so appreciated, who knew how to move his arms or legs so that they didn't atrophy, who knew how to bathe him, who knew what he liked and how hot the water was and all those kinds of things that came with it. So his parents never felt bad that they couldn't be that person. Yeah. They were his parents. And he never felt bad that they weren't those people to him. They were his parents. So we have the roles that we have for a reason. And when it comes to caregiving, don't be afraid to share that responsibility with other people. Spread it around, lighten the load. You're taking a burden off of the two of you, the person who you love, who's dying, and yourself. Don't think it was like, oh, I'm just trying to make it easy for myself. This has nothing to do with easy. This is not about easy. This is about Mm -hmm. healthy and what's good for you in the long run and what's good for your ailing partner or relative or child or, or mate. That's what this is about. You need to be good for them and you need to be healthy for them and in the right frame of mind. So when is a caregiver not a caregiver? When there are alternatives and that first person has other roles to play, the role of wife, the role of husband, the role of sister or brother, the role of confidant or best friend. What's important is that the services are are received and that the care is good, but it doesn't have to come from you in order for you to still be a good friend, a good husband, a good wife a good partner, a good relative, a good brother or sister, a good niece or nephew. Mm -hmm. And don't feel guilty about it. Don't feel guilty. It's not a a guilt equation. It's not something (laughs) you're supposed to feel guilty about. So keep that in mind. If you do find yourself in these situations, we all will at some point or another, or we all are at some point or another, 
And many of you who we're talking to right now probably have this situation with a parent, perhaps that's a common one, or maybe a spouse. Hopefully you don't have to have it with a child. You know, I think with a child, the tendency is to think you have to do everything because you can't yeah. be apart from them. And I know when we went through what we went through with Chica, you know, we didn't want to be apart from her for a minute. But after a year, year and a half of, of every day, every day caregiving and every day relieving and every day watching over and every day worrying, you came to sort of say, I can take a couple hours away if someone else can kind of handle this. And she might like it too. She's not crazy about yeah. being with me all this time, you know, every minute. But you are obviously more responsible with a child than necessarily an adult. <clears throat> but, you know, don't feel guilty either way. Find the right level of caregiving. Find the right person for caregiving. If it's you, then be the best caregiver you can be. But if it's not you, then be the best son or daughter. Be the best husband or wife. Be the best friend or best supporter, or best niece, or best nephew that you can be. And let the people who caretake do the caretaking. Yeah. Maury did. Maury reveled in the people taking care of him. And then when it came time to see his wife or see his sons, they weren't talking about, you know that time when you massaged me this morning and you did this, or you know that time that you... No, you know, that's not to say that they didn't help and didn't do things like that. They did. But it was okay for there to be other people involved in the process. It didn't yeah. diminish the roles of the other people. It didn't make them less significant. It didn't make them love their father or their husband less. And I guess that's what we're trying to get across. <clears throat> there's, there's, it's difficult enough dealing with illnesses and dealing with threats to your life, things that come along, set you back. Don't add on to it with unnecessary guilt. Okay? Got it. Okay. Got it. Got it. Got it. We thank you for listening today. We hope that it was of some help. We do this every Tuesday, and you can find more about the show at wetuesdaypeople.com on the web. You can find out all about discussion groups and previous shows. You can tell your friends that they can get this on any place you get popular podcasts. And if you want to leave a comment or a rating, we always appreciate those as well. Until we meet again. On behalf of Lisa Goich, my producer and friend, I am Mitch Album saying, see you next Tuesday. Thank you for listening to Tuesday People. To be part of our conversation, join the Tuesday People community at wetuesdaypeople.com. Subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss an episode and share it with your friends. We look forward to having you with us every Tuesday because, after all, we're Tuesday People.